My friends, I speak with you today in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I'm, I'm always a little uh, nervous when I preach. Uh, I'm particularly anxious when I'm asked to preach in front of and with um, my colleagues and when um, the bishop is in the room. Uh, who, who am I to be unpacking scripture? Oh, you're taking your collar off. Thank, thank you, Your Grace. Thank you. Um, who am I to unpack scripture and to, to talk about uh, such things uh, when this is your bread and butter, this is what you all do every week, and most of you do it far better than I do. But I want to thank you for allowing me this opportunity, a uh, few moments, uh, to um, reflect at this time in the life of our church. Uh, I've, I've always had a fondness for uh, the memorial of Cyril and Methodius. Uh, my, my late wife and I um, never celebrated Valentine, not even in the early days, uh, because we thought it was just too contrived. So we were always very happy the fact that Cyril and Methodius were, were remembered on the 14th. I also love the look on people's faces when, when you can confidently tell them that, oh no, the Anglican Church of Canada doesn't celebrate Valentine. The look is phenomenal. Like, but the 14th, which I know is tomorrow, but you know, this is the eve thereof, uh, is set aside to remember two examples of leadership uh, and evangelism that I think we would do well to learn more from, Cyril and Methodius. Uh, Dr. Reynolds, in, in the text that he writes uh, in For All the Saints, reminds us of, of who these men were and how they lived their vocations as priests and then later as, as bishops. Uh, and as I read about their work among the, the Slavic people, I, I can't help but see some direct correlations between their work and some of the current work of the Anglican Church of Canada and indeed in this diocese. Cyril and Methodius went into Moravia and rather than inflict upon them the faith, they embraced the local people and they worked diligently to worship, work, and teach in the Moravian language. Uh, their biggest fear in all of their work was that the Frankish priests would pour across the border and swoop in and destroy everything that they had done. Uh, because the Franks were churches done in Latin, period. Uh, they were that, those kinds of priests. Uh, they had no time for working with people in the language that they used on a daily language. They imposed upon people the right way to be Christian. Sound familiar? <laughs> uh, all of this, of course, makes me think of how the Christian church forced itself upon so many indigenous peoples throughout the world. With things like forced baptisms, abuse, assimilation, treating human beings as nothing more than savages. Uh, all of those legacies led to such horrific things as residential schools. And this is a legacy that Cyril and Methodius would have been ashamed of. 
Rather, Cyril and Methodius would have worked towards self-determination and embracing the languages, cultures, and traditions of the indigenous peoples. We could learn a lot from these two holy men as they strove to build up a native, self-sustaining church. Sound familiar? The lessons we hear today echo this very well and shine a light on our history so that we may move forward with integrity, love, and honesty. For we have begun the work of reconciliation, and because we have, as St. Paul writes to us today, we have renounced the shameful things that we once hid. We refuse to practice cunning or to falsify God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to the conscience of everyone in the sight of God. For us, we priests and bishop who are called to lead, we simply must do so with grace and openness not imposing upon people our own ways, but bringing our ways with us and adapting them to feed, nourish, uphold, and educate. We are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, not through imposition, but through love and acceptance. We are to lead gently, lovingly, honestly, so that we may all sing with Cyril and Methodius a new song, a song that tells of God's salvation, that declares those marvelous works of God among all people. There is a world out there, I don't know if you had noticed, that is desperate to be embraced and loved, a world that sees the hate division, and evil choices of powerful people, and they are beginning to despair. Working as Cyril and Methodius did, bringing the gospel with us not as a weapon, but as, some, as a soothing balm, one that shows this broken world that there is more to us than violence, war, and apathy. We are all wondering if the church will exist in the future. That wonderful headline on the cover of the Anglican Journal, which I take umbrage at. <clears throat> I firmly believe that the church will exist in 2040, in 2050, in 2250. I also firmly believe that it will look completely different than what we have now, and so it should. For we have entered a time when we can no longer assume people will come to us. We have entered a time when the church must go out to people, just as Cyril and Methodius did all those centuries ago. We must learn to speak the language that is out there Maybe that language is emojis. Maybe that language is not nice. But we have to learn to speak it so that we can share the gospel in that language. During my time in Niels Harbor, I learned to speak the language of the wharf. 
It's a colorful language. <laughs> Out of that came trust. And people would bring their own personal hells to me. And we would walk together into the light. So we must learn to speak those languages. Share the gospel in those languages. And support all who work to let light shine out of the darkness. We, my dear siblings, we are those lights that constantly proclaim the love of Jesus Christ through every act of care, compassion, and blessing that we can offer. So thank you, Cyril and Methodius. Thank you for being this example to us this day and always. Amen.